All right, welcome everyone to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny, and I'm joined today by Brian Wells. The NFL has officially reached its halfway point, and we can now start to accurately judge players and teams across the league. We'll recap the Patriots and the Steelers games from this past weekend before handing out our midseason awards and superlatives. The 2019 baseball season has ended, and for the first time in franchise history, the Washington Nationals are World Series champions. We'll recap their exciting seven-game victory over the Houston Astros and discuss some of the biggest names that can switch teams this offseason. And in honor of our third co-host, Ben, who isn't here today, Corey and I count down our favorite celebrities and fictional characters named Ben in today's Top 5. So just Brian and I today, no Ben, uh, something that's happened quite a bit recently, but we will kind of pay pay homage to our third co-host later in the episode in the top five. Week nine is in the books. This past weekend, we had Andy Reid continue to win games with a backup quarterback. The Bears and the Browns are doneer than done, and the Miami Dolphins won a football game. Uh, But we're going to spend most of today's NFL segment, or at least a good portion of it, going over uh, some of the highlights of the first nine weeks of the season by giving out midseason awards and superlatives. And uh, we'll give some of our week nine recaps and reactions by going over our two teams, starting with Brian's New England Patriots, who suffered their first loss of the 2019 season at the hands of Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens, 37-20, to a multiple-score loss. So, Brian, what are your big takeaways from the Patriots' defense? Not necessarily crumbling, but being a little bit exposed by their first take at an actual NFL offense this season. So, my takeaways from this past game, Sunday night with the Ravens and Patriots playing, uh, my first takeaway is that Lamar Jackson is better than I give him credit for. I, I'll admit, I do have a bias towards uh, QBs like Lamar Jackson who are primarily really running quarterbacks, but he ran all over the Patriots' defense, and as a passer, he's definitely improved this season compared to uh, last season, especially when he got um, when, when he did not look good versus the Chargers in that playoff game in the wild card round last season. And I'm not saying he's a Hall of Fame pocket passer, but he's definitely improved. And uh, I have to give him credit that the Ravens definitely look good uh, in, in last uh, Sunday night's game. And now for the Patriots defense, I'm actually not too concerned about their defense. I know they gave up 37 points. Or, well, actually, the Edelman fumble... Yeah, it was uh, really 30 was points, actually, but Yeah, it was still. really 30 points, but still, they, they definitely didn't look very good uh, on Sunday night, but I'm not too concerned. They struggle against mobile quarterbacks like we know, like we've seen in the past, but I still love 
I still love Stefan Gilmore. I still think highly of Kyle Van Noy and Dante Hightower. And uh, Jamie Collins did not play well on Sunday night, but I'm I'm still high on him as well. I still like their defense. I just think that Patriots fans, including myself, and maybe even other NFL fans, got carried away with how good they are. I still think they're really, really good. They're still a but great they're just defense. Not, they're not. They're not the '85 Bears. They're not the Legion of Boom. No, but and they're still. They're still one of the best, if not the best defense. I think they are the best still. Yeah, they're still a very, very, very good defense. They still can lay claim to best in the league based on their first eight weeks of performance. But I do think that this week was kind of exposing them as not the elite, like greatest defense think, of all time. I think they were thought. they were definitely due for regression. If you look at their schedule so far, the first eight games of the season, they were basically playing college teams. And then their schedule now and upcoming is... We just saw this past weekend, first the Ravens, and then the next couple games they face the Eagles and the Cowboys, who maybe haven't been awesome this year exactly, but they're still, both those teams are still pretty good. They're much better than the teams they played the first half of the season. Yeah, and then they'll also eventually face Mahomes and the Chiefs, if Mahomes is healthy by then. Yeah, I just, I still think very highly of their defense. I guess my one concern is uh, it looks like the Patriots' defense you can definitely run on them. I mean, we've seen, we saw Frank Gore rush for over 100 yards versus them. Saw Nick Chubb, even though the Browns didn't play that well. Nick Chubb was pretty good, even though he had two fumbles. He still ran for 100 plus yards. And then we saw Lamar Jackson and Mark Ingram, uh, even and even Gus Edwards even scoring that game as well. So, uh, yeah. So I, I, the Patriots defense didn't play well, and maybe you could run on them a little bit, but I still think very highly of them as well. Yeah. Now my. My one concern, though, I will say, sorry to, sorry to interrupt, but my one concern, though, for the Patriots is their offense. Even though they scored 20 points, I think their O-line is really, really bad, especially without Isaiah Wynn uh, still on IR. Marshall Newhouse got wrecked on the left side, uh, left tackle side. And because of their O-line sucks, their running game has been non-existent. Sony Michelle, I mean, I think he had like four only four carries in that game and he's basic he hasn't been very good this year and a lot of that maybe some of that's on him but a lot of that has has to do with their offensive line as well and uh i'm i'm definitely concerned about their offense and another thing is uh outside of edelman i mean they really haven't how do i say it like the page the patriots really don't bray doesn't really trust anyone outside of edelman i know mom had 10 catches in that game but it's also his second second career game with the Patriots, and um, I, I don't I don't know I I I'm not sure what to think of their offense right now. I, I do think that Sanu is gonna continue to play a big role in their offense moving forward, but I do agree there's plenty of reasons to question that offense because the offensive line hasn't been great. The running game has not been nearly as productive as it was last year, and Tom Brady only has so many weapons. He can't rely on his arm going forward anyway as we've seen that he's definitely shown signs of being a 42 year old quarterback despite being able to continue to win games but if the defense is gonna play like they did against a great running team then I I think the Patriots have proven that there is a way to stop them and everyone wanted to say they're an unstoppable team because they were able to just totally destroy teams like the Jets and the Dolphins and then the Browns, who we thought were good, but they certainly haven't proven that to any point this season. So against a team like the Ravens, there's certainly reason to be concerned there. 
That being said, I thought the Patriots were going to win this game. Even though I knew they had their running problems coming in, I just kind of expected that Bill Belichick in that defense would find a way to contain Lamar Jackson and that the Ravens wouldn't just be able to necessarily run all over them in the way they actually did, which it was like there was almost no stopping them in that game. And I just think, as you kind of mentioned earlier, I was not big on Lamar Jackson this year, and I think a lot of people overreacted to that one Chargers playoff game. Because other than that, he was really good last season. You know, he didn't necessarily have the great passing game, which he's still kind of developing. He only threw for 163 yards in this one. But he was still able to command this offense and just have the the Patriots kind of out of sync the whole game in terms of uh, the way that he can beat you both on the ground and, to in a way, still through the air. So, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that this is a, a telling game. The Ravens, I thought they were frauds because they were beating bad teams and they they weren't looking all that impressive for the most part in the first six games. But they've come out now, they beat the Seahawks pretty convincingly, and then they beat the Patriots. So, yeah, to me, Baltimore, as much as I don't want them to be great as a Steelers fan, they're looking really, really solid. I think Baltimore is better than, than people realize and. They, they look like they're going to be uh, a playoff team and may, may possibly a uh, first first week by team if they can, uh, I don't know, compete with the Patriots. Well, not just the Patriots, but other teams as well. They'll, the they'll have to keep going. I mean, at this point, the Patriots still feel like they have a pretty comfortable lead for that one seed at 8-1. and one. But like you said, the schedule does get a little more difficult. So it's just a question of what happens for them coming out of the bye. And then for Baltimore, they have a fairly favorable schedule moving forward. Um, they have they have a game against the Houston Texans and the San Francisco 49ers that are both are at home. Uh, I know they have to play at Buffalo against the Bills, but it's like those are all games that if they are a truly great team, they should be able to still win them. And I, I guess that's a good way to see just how great they are. Of course, Kansas City, when Patrick Mahomes comes back, you can't count them out no matter what seed they are. And Houston Texans with Sean Watson have been um, just as good, if not better, than the Ravens at this point. So... I, I do think that there's still a lot to be decided in the AFC, but it is comforting to know that the Patriots aren't just going to run all over every team on their route to uh, a 16-0 regular season once again. They're definitely a flawed team. They're definitely not an unbeatable team, even though Sam Darlin said their defense uh, is you know, not unbeatable and he got trashed. But yeah, the, Lamar Jackson and the rest of the Ravens offense definitely proved that the Patriots can be beat. And... Another thing I'm worried about is I've already talked about how concerned I am about the offense. I just I really don't like how Brady doesn't he really doesn't trust anyone outside of Edelman and then I guess Mohamed Sanu. I mean we after those two guys like I think the leading leading guys in the receiving were Ben Watson and a little bit of James White, which I also hate that James White's been a proven uh, a proven player for their team for a long time and he's only getting three targets and and anytime he gets the ball he, he's doing great things so I'm I, I feel like I'm just mad that Brady doesn't trust other guys more on their team and and not only James White but also Philip Dorsett and Jacoby Myers as well and uh, I, I'm I'm not feeling good about their offense right now the future that offense, could easily change oh yeah their offense has always seemed like it runs best through James White and he scored a touchdown in this game. I, I know he had a little bit of involvement, but I, I, I do agree there is pretty reason reason to be concerned in terms of Brady's trust level with some of his weapons on that team, which they're down Josh Gordon officially. And 
I don't know if Sanu's just going to come in and do everything that Gordon was expected to do based off this one one great performance, but you do got to kind of wonder what, what to make of that offense moving forward. So I, I just want to throw out a quick little stat here before we move on. So it's going to take a little bit of um, memory and brain power from you, so uh, we'll, I'll, I'll let you know that now. That's fine. So I'm going to have you choose between a player A and a player B. I'm sure you've seen this before. So player yeah. player A, 19 for 28 for 161 yards. So that's a 67% completion, 68% completion rate, and 5.75 yards per attempt. One touchdown, three interceptions, sacked five times, 54.9 rating. Remember those numbers? Mm-hmm. So player B, 17 for 23, 74% completion rating, 163 yards, so that's 7.09 yards per attempt. One touchdown, no interceptions, sacked just once, 107.7 passer rating. Which player are you taking? The second one? Yeah, so player A. Let me guess, this player B is Lamar Jackson. This week against Patriots. And then player A... Lamar Jackson against the Steelers back in week. Five. I'm not sure. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> you know, that's... I knew player. What when I read when I heard those stats, I'm like, that's definitely Lamar Jackson this past weekend for player B. But like, I didn't know who player A was. If that was someone else or Lamar Jackson when he sucked. No, yeah, that was Lamar Jackson when he sucked against the Steelers. <laughs> we'll move on to now that Steelers defense coming up pretty clutch this weekend against the Colts as the offense was. Nothing to write home about, yet they still won 26-24. Got a little help from Adam Vinatieri, totally shanking a 43-yard field goal in the last two minutes. Pittsburgh back at 500. They're 4-4. Four and four. They're two games back of the Ravens still with their win over the Patriots, but wildcard still kind of seems to be in play for Pittsburgh. Certainly had their own questions with the offense, but that defense, it's looking really good, and Minka Fitzpatrick has been a gigantic addition. Uh, despite some of the scrutiny for giving up a first round pick to bring him in. Yeah, I was part of that group too. Like giving up a first round pick for, I mean, a pretty good, no, a really good uh, player in their secondary, but that was after Ben getting hurt and the season sort of being over, but they are playing at 500 football right now. And even though uh, I'm not a big Mike Tomlin fan, but the fact that he's gotten the Steelers to play 500 with Mason Rudolph, who, I mean, maybe you think differently, but I don't think very highly of him or from what I've I'll, seen. I'll get into Rudolph, that's for sure. Yeah, but just the fact that they're 500 right now, I think is sort of an accomplishment, in my opinion. I think I thought the season was going to go right straight downhill after the injury to Ben. Yeah, no, it's absolutely a huge accomplishment. And I've been pretty down on Mike Tomlin in recent years. It feels like this team has had so much talent lately, yet they make the the AFC Championship game in 2016, and that's the only time since that 2010 Super Bowl loss to the Packers, just three playoff wins in that stretch. It feels like they've done so little with so much. And I've never really bought into the whole, oh, never had a losing season. But this is a year that if the Steelers do finish at least 8-8 eight and eight or better, given what happened with Antonio Brown in the offseason, Le'Veon Bell leaving, and then Ben Roethlisberger suffering a season-ending injury after just the second game of the season, I think it, it's, it's a huge accomplishment for Mike Tomlin. And I think he's very much in the candidacy of Coach of the Year. He 
probably need to make the playoffs to have real chance of winning that award. But the team's 4-2 and two since Ben went down, with Mason Rudolph and then Devlin Hodges in that one game against the Chargers. Two losses were close losses to an undefeated 49ers team and to the Baltimore Ravens in overtime, who just beat the Patriots. So it's not like the Steelers team hasn't hung in with great competition. Yeah, they have a win over the Dolphins, they have a win over the Bengals, but they beat the Chargers, who are looking like they're also in the mix of the wild card. And they beat the Colts this week. And even though Brian Hoyer was playing most of the game where Jacoby Brissett, Hoyer played pretty well. It wasn't like the Colts just died when Hoyer came in. And the yeah, Hoyer deep... came in and threw that touchdown to Doyle yeah, in the first immediately play. after yeah. Brissett got hurt. Yeah, and then he let him down on another drive that ultimately ended a Minka Fitzpatrick 96-yard pick six. But that's the kind of thing about the Steelers' defense. Is I'm not going to say that they're elite. But I think they're a really good defense, and they're, I've been saying for a while now, they're a championship-caliber defense because they make plays when they need to. They hold long drives to field goals. They force turnovers. They, they, the Steelers created 15 total turnovers all of last season. Through eight games, half a season, they already have 22 this year. They're intercepting passes, which is something that never happened last year. And Mika Fitzpatrick has been a huge part of that. Opposing passers, when going deep in the first two games of the season, I think were four for seven, three touchdown passes, zero interceptions. And then since Mika arrived, they're three for 15, zero touchdowns, three interceptions. That's like a 10.5 passer rating. So, yeah, I mean, the Steelers, to me, the defense has an ability to carry them moving forward. Mike Tomlin has done a very good job of leading this team it, it was. Uh, do you think they can, do you think they can make the playoffs? Whether if it's winning the, the division or a wild card spot, I think winning the division will be very difficult at this point, given that they're two games behind the Ravens. They essentially need to win out or come pretty close to it, and then have Baltimore. yeah, they're two games behind the Ravens, and they lost to them. Too, they did, well. but so that's, that's well, I guess through. in terms of the tiebreaker, in theory, the Steelers could end up winning that uh, divisional record because Baltimore lost to Cleveland. So if the Steelers take care of business against the Browns twice and then the Bengals in Cincinnati, they would have a 5-1 and one record. The Ravens would have a 4-2, and two, uh, which obviously would mean the Steelers beating the Ravens in Week 17. But I, I do think that the Steelers, in terms of wild card chances, the opportunity is there. They play the Rams this week. It's going to be a tough game. LA's coming off a bye. They're coming off two wins, but those were against the Falcons and the Bengals. And Falcons, didn't look, yeah, I know. Yeah, they didn't look very good in the previous three losses. Or I shouldn't say they didn't look very good, but they, they lost three in a row to, you know, the 49ers looked terrible. The Seahawks, the Seahawks. was a game they could have won. And then they and lost then the to Bucks. the Bucs. Yeah, 55 to 40. So, like, mm-hmm. I don't think Mason Rudolph is throwing uh, for, you know, 500 yards against them or whatever Jameis threw in that game to get them to 55 points. But I do think that... That that is a winnable it al- game. It also doesn't help that the Rams now have Jalen Ramsey when they didn't have right. him during that three game losing streak. No, and I I can't imagine that Juju Smith Schuster is going to do that much better than his three catch sixteen outing sixteen yard outing against the Colts, coming off that hundred uh, yard game against Miami. I think it'll be very difficult for him, but. I don't know. I think if the offense can find a way to to move the ball downfield just enough, the defense is more than capable of shutting down Jared Goff, who has not looked fantastic. Who has not? Year. Who has been pretty pretty abysmal this year? Yeah. yeah. So to me, I I think I'm not. I I believe that the Steelers can win this game. I'm not going to say they should win this game. I think they're three and a half point underdogs at least when they open. So we'll see what happens from there. But after that, they got those three games against Cleveland, Cincinnati, and then Cleveland again. And then they play 
the Cardinals and the Jets, two games on the road. Uh, they've they've had trouble in the West Coast. Went zero and four against um, the Western Division teams last year in the AFC West, and then this year they've already lost to San Francisco and Seattle. So that could be a game that uh, you know classic Mike Tomlin teams looking great, and then they go out to the West Coast and lose to a Cardinals team they shouldn't lose to. But those are both winnable games, and then the Bills at home. And while the Bills are 6-2 and two right now, they haven't really beat anybody that's all that great. So I'm not necessarily scared of that team. So from there, you get week, six, week 17 against Baltimore. Could be for the division. Could just be to make the playoffs. Could be a game in which Baltimore's already wrapped up their uh, playoff positioning, RG3 starting. So I absolutely believe that the path is there for the Steelers. And I've been saying that since they were 1-4. and four. It's like the path is there, and they've won three in a row. So they haven't let me down recently, despite that horrible 0-3 and 1-4 and and start this season. So I absolutely do believe that the Steelers could be a playoff team. My expectations are low for them if they do get there. I don't think the Steelers are better than the Patriots, the Chiefs, and the Texans. And, you know, they, they played well against the Ravens in Week 5, but I, I don't know if it's fair no, to say I, that they're better I, I also... than the Ravens. I also agree with that, that if they made the playoffs, I don't know how much further they can go. I, I remember in the beginning of the year, I actually said, or I at least told you that I thought the Steelers would be winning the, the division. And that really didn't look good when once Ben got hurt. But the fact that, like you said, they're still they're still in the mix for the wild card. It's definitely um, definitely good for them. And But yeah, like I said early in the year, I didn't even think that they would do much after uh, winning the, the division or making the playoffs, even when, when Ben was still there. So... It's great that they're still in the mix for for you for you and other Steelers fans, but also I don't know how high their ceiling is. No, and a lot of that just comes down to Mason Rudolph, and he the offense has just not been an NFL type offense. Like they, it's been a lot of lot of shuffle passing, a lot yeah, of dishing just out all to check J- downs. James Conner or Jalen Samuels. Every now and then he'll go deep and he'll connect with Deontay Johnson or James right. Washington, but for every time he goes deep and connects with all of them, he throws an interception because he just doesn't get enough power under the ball so yeah I think that Mason Rudolph is is showing that while he can maybe be a competent backup who you can throw in here and there there's no reason right now to believe that the Steelers should move on from Ben Roethlisberger next season and make Mason Rudolph starting quarterback he's better than Landry Jones at least Yeah, I mean, Landry Jones had had some success with the Steelers but I, I I do think that Mason Rudolph right now his ceiling doesn't necessarily. His ceiling look like is a maybe being a decent, starting a decent backup. Like, yeah, Teddy I think Bridge he can Wyatt. be a really, really good backup in this league. If uh, at least for the time being, I don't know if the Steelers should be rushing to keep him as a starting quarterback. I think that Devlin Hodges, given the opportunity he had in the Chargers, has shown that he can come in and be just as good as Mason Rudolph, and he went undrafted. Mason Rudolph was a third-round pick. A lot of people were saying he could he had his first-round talent, and I don't know if I'm necessarily seeing that right now. I, I want Mason to be great. I want Rudolph to be the guy moving forward because that means the Steelers don't have to worry about drafting someone, especially knowing they don't have a first-round pick in 2020. They can focus on other areas of need. But, yeah, I mean, I... I, I don't know. I, I think that the the Rudolph offense can beat the bad teams on their schedule, but it's not going to win them games against actual quality playoff competition. So with that, let's move on to our midseason awards. So at this point, the NFL is officially halfway through the season. I know a lot of a lot of uh, sites and journalists want to give these out after week eight. Well, we couldn't last week because we didn't record an episode last week. And it was also less than 50%. At this point, we're slightly above 50%. So I think it's just as fine to do it after nine games. 
So offensive rookie of the year. Let's start with that one. Brian, who is your pick for this award? So far, I like Josh Jacobs as the recipient for offensive rookie of the year. Uh, he's he's sixth in the league in rushing. He's He ran over 120 plus running yards to pretty much every NFC North team outside of Minnesota. And he's made Oakland a respectable team. I mean, coming in the year and past season or so, the Raiders have basically been a joke. But this year, they look... I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I don't think their ceiling is very high, but they look like a respectable team with Josh Jacobs as a running back. So uh, I like him as the first choice to, or the favorite to win offensive rookie of the year. Uh, But I'll also throw in uh, another player that I think should be in consideration. Uh, I think DK Metcalf in the Seahawks offense, that's been awesome this year. Now, I'm, I love Tyler Lockett. I'm a bigger believer in him and as one of the, I think now one of the best receivers in the league, but he, it can't just be all the Tyler Lockett when Russell Wilson is dropping back and DK Metcalf this year has shown that he can definitely play in the league. So I think he deserves consideration as well, but I think Josh Jacobs should be the favorite. You know, Metcalf has surprised me this year. I thought he was going to be a bust. Uh, I think it is a good reason why he fell to the end of the second round after early indications of him being a potential top 10 pick. But yeah, Metcalf has been great this year, and I definitely think that he deserves to be in the running for that award. I also agree that at the midseason, Josh Jacobs is deserving of it. 740 yards rushing, six touchdowns. And like you said, the Raiders are 4-4. Four and four. They're a playoff contender at the very least. They've been much better this season than I expected them to be. So right now, he's my officer rookie of the year that being said I really like Kyler Murray's chances of ultimately taking this award now I think at this point last year Saquon Barkley was the clear favorite Baker Mayfield gave him a run for his money with his performance down the stretch and I could certainly see Murray doing something similar and especially coming off this past week's game against the 49ers who they have one of the better defenses in the league And Murray held his own against them. He threw a couple touchdown passes, no interceptions, nearly 300 yards passing, and nearly helped the Cardinals win the game. It's 28 to 25. So uh, I do like Kyler Murray's chances moving forward. But for now, I agree that Jacobs is the rookie of the year. Yeah, I'm. I I wasn't a huge. I wasn't a fan of any of the quarterbacks in the year prior, uh, in the first round with Mayfield and Rosen, Allen and Lamar who's been good but I wasn't really a fan of any of those quarterbacks in that draft but I was really high on Kyler Murray like like a lot of other people but there have been games where he has really hasn't done anything but then there have been games like we just saw this past Thursday uh versus the Niners where even though they lost uh that that's he put up pretty good numbers against a really good defense and I think we've seen flashes of his upside and I think We'll see more of that later in the year, but for right now, yeah, I wouldn't pick him as the the favorite to win rookie offensive yeah. rookie of the year. Right yeah, now. I mean he'll he'll need a lot more hits and misses to actually win this award, but I I certainly believe that's doable. So def- defensive rookie of the year, I'll uh, I'll start with this one. And to me, in in my head, this was easy pick for Nick Bosa. I didn't realize that Josh Allen has nearly the same numbers. I'm still gonna go with Bosa to this point because. I think the biggest thing is the 49ers are 8-0, the Jaguars are 4-4. Four and four. 
uh, four and five, excuse me, because they lost to Houston this week. But yeah, Bo- Bosa to me is a rookie of the year, but I don't think it's as as wide of a gap as I thought it was. I would love for Devin Bush to win this award, but I think that Bosa and Allen are have been uh, much much more consistent than Bush has been, or at least they they didn't get off to the same slow start that Bush did. Yeah, I think you hit on the three guys that should be in the running, but I think Nick Bosa should still be the defensive rookie of the year. He's on pace for 14 sacks, and the Niners are the number one rush defense in the league, and he's a big big reason why. And he's also a big reason why they're still undefeated right now. So, yeah, Nick Bosa should still be the favorite to win defensive rookie of the year. And he has legitimate claims to be a candidate for overall defensive player of the year. So uh, there's certainly a lot of guys that are up for that award, which we'll discuss in a few minutes here. But I, I do think just based on that alone, you got to think defensive rookie of the year favorite for Nick Bosa. All right. So now offensive player of the year, Brian, who are you giving this award to right now? Uh, this goes to Christian McCaffrey. And I don't know how close this is. He's on pace for nearly 2,500 total yards uh, rushing and receiving. And I don't, I'm not, I'm not really a guy who values the running back position uh, that much. I've said that in the past, but I do love, love Christian McCaffrey though. He guy's been, uh, he's been unreal this year and I, I don't care if he, he's a running back. He's been the best offensive player this season. And I guess for, for a shout out or for, for a runner up, I do like how Michael Thomas has played with Drew Brees and with Teddy Bridgewater. The fact that he's still been consistent with no matter who the quarterback has been, I think he should be in the running, but I still think Christian McCaffrey is going to win this award. Yeah, I do think there are a lot of candidates for this award, but I also agree that Christian McCaffrey has established himself as the number one. He can do it all. He can run and he can catch passes and he can gain a lot of yards either way and score touchdowns. He's 881 rushing yards and 10 10 rushing touchdowns while 42 catches, 363 yards and three touchdowns through the air. Uh, I know you did those numbers, got about 2,500 total rushing yards and then 26 total touchdowns if he does uh, double his numbers the rest of the way. So to me, McCaffrey is the offensive player of the year to this point in the season. There have been weeks, pretty much weekly, I've been waiting for the McCaffrey bust game or like, where, when's there? I know week two he didn't play well, but week outside two against week the, two. Yeah, this thing is the Bucks been, are the only team to slow him down. Of all the teams in the league, it's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense, at least on the ground, because I think week six he did well The Bucks have catching. actually surprisingly been one of the best one run defense in the league, but their secondary is still trash like always. Yeah, yeah, which I mean they 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 certainly uh, have. Some it was also kind a Thursday night game, and it was it was it was muddy it was muddy out, so like that's kind of a throwaway. Yeah, but and I, I guess you know the week six game was in London, so like does that really count? You know, right. but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean I I definitely think that McCaffrey outside of those two games has been nearly unstoppable, and he's very much deserving of this award to this point. So, Defensive Player of the Year. Now, I think there's a lot of guys that are in discussion for this award. This was the hardest one for me to choose. Uh, But I'm actually going to go with Miles Garrett for this award, simply because he's been the lone bright spot in an otherwise disastrous Cleveland Browns season. Their defense has not been nearly as good as they should be, yet Miles Garrett has still been phenomenal. 10 sacks, 11 tackles for a loss, 2 forced fumbles. He has been a force, despite not really anything else in Cleveland being a force this year. Uh, but I, I do think there's plenty of other guys who can win this award, and it's far from over that Garrett's going to 
be the same guy that wins it on the NFL honors night. So this might be kind of a homer pick, but I do like Stephon Gilmore too, right now at least, for Defensive Player of the Year. He's the best cornerback in the league playing for, in my opinion, the best defense in the league. And I remember when Stephon Gilmore was signed to that big contract uh, with the Patriots. I'll admit, I did not care for the signing at the time. And even his first few games with the Patriots, he really didn't look good. And and then now all of a sudden this year and other the past season or so, he's been really, really good. Been shutting down anyone, anyone who's he he's had to shadow coverage. So, uh, might be a homer pick, but I do love Gilmore. Uh, so that's my choice. I mean, it's honestly insane just how much better Gilmore has been in New England compared to how he was in Buffalo. I, I agree that Gilmore is certainly a worthy candidate for this award. A lot of people would give it to him right now. I think there are a few Patriots who can maybe be in this discussion just because of how great their defense has been. Naturally, everybody has been great. So that's kind of Kyle, why Kyle I mean Van Noy, Garrett, but yeah. Kyle Van Noy would be another good choice for I've also seen well. Jamie I mean, Collins and Dante Hightower in the discussion for that. It, it feels like there's there's a lot of guys, but I agree. Gilmore is the, he's the best one on that team, and yeah. Ben, ben thinks that should be a homer pick for me because Gilmore is a gamecock. Uh, you know, being on the Patriots makes it harder for me to root for him than it should be. But yeah, I mean, I remember uh, Tony Maserati from uh, you know, 98.5 The Sports Hub tweeted after the Patriots lost to the Carolina Panthers. So it was Week Four of twenty. 17 that was his first um, year there yeah 2017 so, yeah, yeah so. 2017 because that was the that was the his first he wasn't on the team when they won super bowl 51 and then they signed him the afterwards team. yeah yeah so he tweeted after that game you can take gilmore out of buffalo but you can't take the buffalo out of gilmore <laughs> and he's come so long ever since then <laughs> So yeah, he's he's absolutely you know one of if not the best defensive players in the year certainly or in the league. I remember could certainly that, be the I, best corner. Yeah, I remember that Panthers game vividly because that was his worst game ever as a Patriot because it was like a, there was a third down play where uh, he committed a illegal contact penalty that kept the Panthers drive alive and then they tied it and then won in overtime and then still Stephon Gilmore got trashed by everyone uh, in that after that game so yeah i mean it was pretty deserving and it's it's crazy to me just how how he's established himself the way he has um you know last season certainly bursting onto the scene and then this year it's it's very very deserving to be in the running for that defensive player of the year award so all right up next the coach of the year so the easy answer is probably kyle shanahan because they're the only undefeated team left. And if you told me that by week nine, the, there'd be one undefeated team left and it'd be the Niners, I would have said you were crazy. But here we are. They are the one team left that ha- has not lost a game. But I actually like Sean Payton for the award because the fact that they they lose Drew Brees in week two versus the Rams and Bridgewater comes in and he looks, he looks bad and then everyone says that the Saints are done or they might not even... They might not even make the playoffs, but then all of a sudden Bridgewater wins every single game the rest of the way, and it, the Saints are still in the running for home field advantage with the Niners right now. And the fact that they are able they're able to be seven and one uh, with with Bridgewater being the primarily the quarterback for the season is it's per, that's that's pretty good accomplishment. So I would lean Sean Payton for that, but Kyle Shanahan's probably the right choice. I also agree Sean Payton for the same reason you just outlined. The fact that the Saints 
were are seven and one despite having their backup quarterback play most of the season. And it's not even just that uh, you know the backup quarterback. This team had all the reason in the world to kind of fall apart this year following their second straight postseason disappointment. Uh, just like feeling like they had a game ripped away from them with that loss to the Rams and, of course, that controversial non-call. So the fact that the Saints find themselves 7-1, and one, in my opinion, despite the 49ers being undefeated, the Saints are the best team in the NFC. And I think that Sean Payton is very deserving of that Coach of the Year award. Kyle Shanahan is certainly up there. And, of course, Bill Belichick. I mean, the team's 8-1. and one. They were undefeated before this and probably – you know, I don't know if you'd necessarily give him a huge hit because of the Ravens' loss, but uh, I do think that Belichick has uh, always be up there. Just the fact that he is, you know, pretty, pretty clearly the greatest um, active coach in the league, and certainly has a an, a belief uh, that you can say that he's the greatest of all time. In fact, that he's won five Super Bowls more than any other NFL head coach. So, but I mean, it's it's a season award. It's not just a all time contribution award. So. Um, I do. I am kind of curious to see if uh, Belichick does find himself in the running at the end of the season, just for another uh, dominant season from the Patriots, which you kind of come to expect every year. So, lastly, the Most Valuable Player Award. Before this week, I would have given this to Aaron Rodgers, but following Week Nine and Rodgers' just dud performance against the Chargers and Russell Wilson's five touchdown performance against the Bucks, I got to give it to Wilson. He has been phenomenal this year: twenty-two touchdowns, just a single interception thrown. And the Seahawks are a team that I don't think is particularly that great, yet they find ways to win games, and it's because of their quarterback. He's a guy who has been so great throughout his career, and it just feels like the Seahawks can win any game that he's a part of. Uh, No matter what the score is at any time, he can always find a way to bring them back. So to me, Russell Wilson, based on his performance this season, is the MVP. So if you asked me this question last week, who I think deserves the MVP, I would have said Russell Wilson. And then asking this question right now, I would say Russell Wilson, but with the trophy in his hands right now, because I think... I think no doubt Russell Wilson has been the MVP this year. He's on pace for over 5,000 passing yards, 44 touchdowns and two interceptions if he keeps that up, which I highly doubt, but that's Seems unrealistic, but yeah, for an eight-game stretch, that's phenomenal. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. And I think that the past, like, it's like what you said, the the Seahawks, I don't think they're very good, but they've been able to win games. And a a lot of that has to do with the fact that Russell Wilson is their quarterback making big plays and, their offense is really clicking right now, and I, I feel like the past few seasons it's been just Russell Wilson doing everything, and he hasn't really gotten awarded for that. I mean, besides the big contracts, of course, but now he's going to get the recognition as the, I think the MVP this year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we still do have half a season to play, so I, I don't know if anyone is rushing to hand him the award right now. But it, it does seem like this is his to lose at this point. Lamar Jackson is another one who has kind of put himself in this running after his win over the Patriots. So I think it'll be interesting to see where he goes from here. I think if I were to rank it, I would go with Wilson by a landslide. And then second, I would go with McCaffrey. I know he's a running back, but still, I don't care. He's, 
I would pick him second. And then third, yeah, I would probably pick Lamar Jackson. I, I would put Rodgers, Jackson, two and three in whatever order. Oh, I sure. Think. You know what? No, may, yeah, maybe Rodgers actually. Isn't My thing with Christian McCaffrey well, but... in terms of his MVP candidacy is he's not winning the award unless the Panthers make the playoffs. And as of if this season ended today, the Panthers would not be a playoff team. doesn't necessarily mean they won't be a playoff team. Uh, but I think that's what it's going to take for him to get serious consideration for this award just because it's always quarterbacks. Even if they did make the playoffs, he's probably still not going to get it. They would have to be like, uh, if you remember that that Chargers team with LT when he had 30, 32 touchdowns, touchdown. right? yeah, yeah, something like that, and they they were like what fourteen and two. They were the number one seed that year. That, that's another thing. Like the Pan- the Panthers not only have to make the playoffs, they would have to be they have to win like the rest of their games to even. And and Christian McCaffrey being of course being a big part of that as well for him to. To actually win the award, I think Russell Wilson is all basically a lock to win it this year. All right. Well, his next game is against the 49ers uh, on Monday Night Football. So we'll, we'll see how he does when he makes that trip to Levi Stadium against that undefeated defense. So um, I, I do agree with you, though, with everything you're saying in terms of Wilson being the, the leader and the favorite to take it home. All right, so let's move on to some superlatives. So we're going to give out um, you know, recognitions for the, the biggest surprise and the biggest disappointment of the first half of the season, both on a team level and an individual player level. Let's start with the biggest surprise team. So I went with the Indianapolis Colts. I know they lost this past Sunday to the Steelers after Finitary's shank, but the fact that they're 5-3 and three without Andrew Luck and basically no one at receiver when T.Y. Hilton is hurt. I mean, can you even name a receiver after T.Y. Hilton? I mean, Zach, Pascal. Zach Pascal. Like, yeah. I, I, I Chester Rogers got a touchdown. Yeah, I've never heard of any of those, barely heard of any of those guys after T.Y. Hilton. And the fact that they're 5-3 and three still, and uh, Marlon Mack in the running game has, has been pretty good this year, and their defense is solid with Darius Leonard leading their defense as well. So... I'm going to go with the Colts, but even though they've been surprisingly good, I don't know if that could continue uh, after that. what just happened this past Sunday, so the way they're trending right now. But I'm going to give them as the superlative, surprising, most surprising team this year. Jacoby Brissett, uh, his health is definitely going to play a role. It sounds like it, there's a chance he could play in Week 10 against the Dolphins, uh, but I, I, I do think that's something to watch for him going forward. And then... The kicking game is definitely going to be a big concern for that team, and I don't know if there's a better option than Adam Vinatieri right now. I mean, he kicked the game winner from like 51 yards to beat Denver the, the week the, before. The, so. the, the Patriots have used Mike Nugent and Nick Folk as their kickers. This yeah, year, so I I couldn't tell you if there are much better options. No, they would they right would now. have to find a diamond in the rough, like maybe Elliot Fry if the the Colts are interested. I don't think he's been picked up by anyone. Uh, but I, I do like you picking the Colts there because I feel like the easy answers are the 49ers at 8-0 and and the Bills at 6-2. and I didn't want to pick the Niners just because that's so too easy. When, well, that's the thing is like when I look at those teams, like, yeah, I don't know if I would have predicted off the top of my head that they would have that record. But I've only as the season has gone on, uh, and even maybe even before the season I would have felt this way, there's only been two games this year that I thought the 49ers would lose. And one of them was to my Steelers, who were 0-2 at the time, and I was more of me like believing that the Steelers can win a game to avoid going 0-3 than anything else. Uh, so to me, that 
they're, while their record of 8-0 and is technically a surprise, I don't think it's as big of a surprise as others might think. And the Bills at 6-2, and who have they beaten? They've lost to the Patriots and they lost to the Eagles. Other than that, their biggest win is over the Titans. So to me, it's they've taken advantage of a, a bad schedule, and I thought that they would be a, a decent team this year in like the 500-ish range, which I wouldn't be surprised if after the 6-2 and two start, they kind of cool off a little bit, even though the schedule continues to be great. So taking the same kind of approach as you with the Colts, how about the New Orleans Saints at 7-1? and one? And We were just talking about, we're giving Champagne right. Coach of the Year award. When Drew Brees went down, I never in a million years thought that Teddy Bridgewater would win every single game he started. No. And I, I think the, the thought was, okay, maybe the Saints can tread water, maybe be about a 500 team, and then Drew Brees can resurrect them and keep them going. That's not even a, a thing that he had to do. And, of course, he comes out and he go, he's phenomenal against the Cardinals in his first game. And to me, the Saints right now, I think that they are the best team in the NFL, just given everything they've done. I feel like they have the fewest flaws right now. I think Saints-Patriots— They're the most complete team in the NFL right now. Saints-Patriots, yeah. you know, it could it's a 1A, 1B kind of thing. And maybe as someone who would rather have the Saints win the Super Bowl, I'm naturally going to say the Saints. But, yeah, I absolutely think that the Saints being 7-1 and one and just how dominant they've been. And it's not like they're just beating up on cupcake teams. They beat the Seahawks in Seattle. They beat the Cowboys, who were 3-0 at the time. Everyone was all big on them. They held them to 10 points. And then they beat the Bears. They totally destroyed the Bears. Without without Alvin Kamara. Yeah, without Alvin well. Kamara. And, then, of course, without Drew Brees. But that was a Bears team. That was before we realized just how bad the Bears were. And the Saints beating them down like that was the reason why. So, yeah, to me, the Saints and just how dominant they've been has been the biggest surprise team to me. So, I guess moving on, the biggest surprise player, we've talked about him quite a bit in this podcast, that's Lamar Jackson. I knew he was going to be able to run the ball. I knew he'd be able to beat teams on the ground. I did not expect him to be able to move the ball through there as well as he did. And that first game against the Miami Dolphins, that perfect passer rating, five touchdown passes, of course, people are going to say it was against the Dolphins, but he has been just as, well, you know, and obviously not just as good. He hasn't been perfect passer rating the rest of the way, but he's continued to lead this Ravens offense, and they've... They've been a very, very good football team, and it culminated with the victory this past weekend against the New England Patriots uh, with Jackson playing a pivotal role for them. So to me, Lamar Jackson is the biggest surprise player of the first half. So for me, the fact that Cooper Cup is coming off a torn ACL and is in an offense with Todd Gurley and an offense that runs three receiver sets more than anyone in the league, the fact that he's third in the league in um, receiving yards per game and has been a total force in their in the offense this year. Even though the Rams have been sort of underwhelming this year, uh, Cooper Cup has been a huge bright spot uh, on their team. So I went with him as the most surprising uh, player. Even though Cooper Cup is terrific, the fact that, again, coming off an ACL injury in that offense with so many um, weapons to throw to, uh, the fact that he's putting up the numbers he is is pretty amazing to me so Cooper Cup is my choice yeah Cup has been phenomenal this year he's certainly uh, in the running for comeback player of the year award I, I do think that he has a reasonable case to that and there's a good chance he wins it it is amazing just how great he has been uh, while Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods the other two Rams receivers uh, or at least uh, the, the big three that they have have struggled so uh, definitely deserving of that honor so next let's do the biggest disappointment as a team I mean, like, there are two pretty obvious choices, but I will go with the Browns uh, as the most disappointing team. They were, I think they were the the most bet on team to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, this they year, were. And they're, yep. they're, 
they're two and six, so uh, I don't think that's gonna happen unless if they really turn things around in the second half of the season. Uh, they they've just been a total dumpster fire this season, and you know what? I take that back. That's saying they're a dumpster fire is an insult to dumpster fire. <laughs> so so uh, I'm gonna take that back and say they've just been a complete catastrophe. And do you remember that team back in the Eagles team back in 2000? I think it was 2011 when they had Namdi Asamoa. And they have Vince Young. Oh yeah, the, the dream. They're team. the they're the yeah. dream team. I hate teams like that when they're already crowned like champions. The like they accomplish. Yeah, when they're already crowned champions in the offseason, like they accomplish something. So like teams like that, the, uh, the Eagles, then the Browns this year, the Celtics last year. I mean, I hate I hate teams like that. So I'm gonna go with the Browns as definitely the most disappointing team. All right, and uh, I, Browns have certainly been a huge disappointment this year at two and six, especially like you said after all those Super Bowl aspirations, just, uh, being crowned the champions of the off season. Uh, but to me, I guess just to highlight another team, a team that I have a personal vendetta with and have talked about a few times now on the podcast, the Chicago Bears. Yep, three and five. <laughs> They've lost four in a row. This is a team that was twelve and four last year, and it looked like they were ready to take the next step, and they have taken 15 steps backwards it's at the point where last year matt nagin i think he won coach of the year now people are calling for his head already in year two mitchell trubisky has looked like a total bust when i was under the impression that he was going to take the next step forward the the running game has been almost non-existent i guess david montgomery is like starting to do stuff but at this point it's he's, too he's, too he's had a couple sparks lately but it's yeah it's definitely you know, the right defense now. hasn't been nearly as great as last year, and I think a lot of that has to be with just how bad the offense has been. And, yeah, to me, the, the Bears are the biggest disappointment. I thought they would be a Super Bowl team. Now I'll be surprised if this team can avoid losing 10 games. It's like the Jacksonville Jaguars of past couple of seasons when they, they make the AFC Well, last year, champion- yeah, you're right. Well, yeah, that's what I meant. But, like, yeah, they make the AFC Championship game and with that amazing defense and then Blake Bortles leading their offense and then they don't make it. But then, and then the next year, they're just a complete, complete, you know, yeah, they, they were and probably they were the most disappointing team fire, last yeah. year. So, yeah, 5-11, and so 11, they like, bench Bortles midseason. We'll see if the Bears bench Trubisky at this point. But I don't even know what they have to gain out of throwing Chase Daniel out there. So It's it's time to find the next quarterback in the in the next draft. Absolutely. And then another team I want to throw out there who uh, we maybe don't think of right away just because it feels weird to say that they're, there were expectations at one time. How about the New York Jets at 1-7? Remember on our AFC East preview when we were like, yeah, you know, if anyone can stop the Patriots this year, it's the Jets. <laughs> no, I, I've, I've said that, or at least we've talked about it, or whether it's on here or personally, like I thought that the Bills and Jets could both be in the mix for like eight, seven, nine, eight, and eight, nine, and seven. Yeah, like and I said wild both card, of them. And, maybe. If, and if I had to lean one of them, I probably would have said the Jets with with the, who their playmakers were that they, they signed. They just added so much talent but to now, this team. Yeah. <laughs> Now they now they have one win and they just lost the Dolphins who are trying to lose. <laughs> so yeah, the Jets are definitely in that mix too. I guess we didn't I guess we probably thought or at least other people out there thought more highly of the Bears and Browns because the Bears are probably probably coming in the year as Super Bowl contenders. Yeah, and oh, I mean both teams were, were Super Bowl contenders, most, yeah. As yeah, and then the Browns were uh the most bet team to win the Super Bowl. So yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I, don't, I don't blame that pick as well for the Jets. I was uh, I was trying to think 
think back to so a few weeks ago we did like what coaches are most on the hot seat right now he's throwing out names like uh dan quinn you know, dan quinn and freddie kitchens we didn't even mention adam gase and i was like why and i was like did oh I, that's did, right because sure? they they just did, beat the cowboys oh that's they right. were coming yeah. off a win over the cowboys i mean didn't even <laughs> consider gase would be fired or saying jason did, I, would be i did say uh i think it was a couple weeks ago when darnold just threw four interceptions that i i did yeah, also the following say that even week, though he yeah. looked terrible I, I also said that maybe they don't have the right coach uh for their team as well so no, yeah and, Adam, uh, i feel like we should have known that i mean the dolphins were never that great under gase they made the playoffs in 2016 but other than that they were i mean i picked them as my luck I, I picked them as my luck they're only three point <laughs> favorites i mean like just win by just win by you know uh, almost a touchdown or so or a yeah. little bit more than a field goal, and then I, you, you got it. But like they didn't even, they didn't even win the game, and Fitzpatrick threw multiple touchdowns. <laughs> yeah, I actually picked the Dolphins to win that one in my grandfather's um, office football pick and pool, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I came in third, one back because I picked the Browns and the Patriots, and you know had I picked the Ravens who I was rooting for, or picked the Broncos I the who I was rooting for, I would have. I would have picked the Browns and Patriots. The yeah, Browns I know. I mean, had I, Bronco- right? That's, 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 they're facing a Broncos team that has With given Brandon up. Allen at quarterback. Yeah, they, yeah, like they don't even have Joe Flacco out there, and then they traded their best receiver, Emmanuel Sanders, and it's basically just Cortland Sutton catching passes. Yeah, so I mean, I, you know, I'm I'm disappointed in the Browns this week, but that being said, two and six, they're done. I'm very happy that I don't have to worry about Cleveland uh, being a threat to the Steelers at least for the rest of the season. So, um, in terms of biggest disappointment player. To me, there's there's two guys that I'm kind of going back and forth between. On a personal level, I'm disappointed in Mitchell Trubisky. I thought he was going to take a, a big step forward this year, kind of follow along that Jared Goff trajectory. Uh, that hasn't happened. But a guy who's been just as bad, if not worse, than Mitchell Trubisky, Baker Mayfield. He's thrown 12 interceptions this season. He leads the league in picks. He's the 32nd best passer rating. At least Mitchell yeah, Trubisky's but- 30th. Yeah, but what about all those pro- progressive commercials that he's? Oh, that he's it, had? it looks so bad having all those commercials <laughs> still playing with how horrible his team has been. Um, I mean, yeah, I, but, could, I mean, especially that one where he's like shaking everyone's hand, like, "Yeah, thanks for coming." Yeah, yeah. And it's like that empty stadium with you know ten people leaving. Yeah, th- hey, thanks for up. watching us blow a game against the Seahawks. You know, I was oh, uh, did you have fun watching us just get yeah, your, your <laughs> totally place destroyed by the Titans? <laughs> I'll, I'll throw an interception at your place next time. That'll be great. Yeah, yeah. To me, he's been the biggest disappointment. Yeah, so I figured that you'd say Baker or Mitchell Trubisky, and you know what? I've already crapped on Trubisky enough, so I'm not even gonna <laughs> pick him. I mean, you've been doing uh, that his whole career, so right. That's that's actually true. Yeah, I have said that ever since he got drafted. So, uh, so I, I feel a little bit of justice there, but uh, I decided to go up, kind of off the board a little bit. Uh, Jared Goff has he got a hundred thirty four million dollar contract this uh, this off season or early in the season, and through eight games he has eleven touchdowns and seven interceptions, and he probably should have more interceptions after watching that Seahawks game several weeks ago when he basically tried to give the game away uh, when they were late in the fourth quarter uh, when they were when they were losing on that last drive and. I'm just not a Jared Goff believer. I know, I know, I feel like a non-believer in a lot of quarterbacks, but I really don't like Jared Goff uh, uh, as a quarterback and getting all that money. Uh, I I don't understand what the Rams were thinking, and the Rams are probably kicking themselves for 
for, for signing Todd Gurley, Gurley to all that money with his knee knee problems this year. They probably are kicking themselves now after signing that much money for Jared Goff the way he's looked too as well. So Jared Goff gets my choice as a most disappointing player. I think Goff is very deserving of that recognition as well. Because like you said, he just got paid that big money contract and have him immediately come out like this. It's He hasn't been great. The Rams are 5-3, and three, so I think that kind of makes him look a little better compared to a 2-6 and six Baker Mayfield. But, you know, Goff, there's certainly not reason to be optimistic about him moving forward. He has had two pretty solid seasons he's coming off of, so this could maybe just be a fluke for him. But there is certainly uh, reason to be disappointed in his performance this year, just the fact that he got paid so much in the offseason. So uh, with that, let's wrap up our NFL talk for this week, and let's talk a little bit about baseball. So it's been almost a week now, but uh, last Wednesday, the Washington Nationals defeated the Houston Astros in Game 7 of the World Series, their first uh, world championship in franchise history, going back to the Montreal Expos days. So huge win for the Nationals, and this is a team that was 19-31 and at one point in May. There were talks of them firing their manager talks to them trading some of their star veteran players at the trade deadline and they turned things around and it was a really improbable world championship for that team uh and it, it's very impressive that they won all four games in houston it was impressive that every single game in the series was won on the road i don't i, I don't think that's ever happened. no it's in, never happened in, in any sport it hasn't happened in uh, basketball or hockey either yeah, that that was definitely crazy. Uh, I definitely, as a baseball fan, I enjoyed the the matchup of how good, especially with how good the starting rotations were for both teams. Like for the Astros, it was Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, and Zach Greinke leading their staff. And then for the Nationals, it was Scherzer, Strasburg, and and Patrick Corbin as well in their in their rotation. I just think both rotations were star studded, and I think that shows that. That's really the key to winning, or to to advancing in the playoffs. Uh, so I I was I was a fan of that series. I I was especially with how the Nationals played and came back uh, in Game Seven after you know giving up the lead early in the game. And uh, I was gonna text you on Game Seven that I think the Nationals are gonna win just the way they're they were trending and that no matter even when they're down like they're definitely not out and they keep coming back at you and so. I was going to text you, but then I would just look stupid if I texted you like, <laughs> like yeah, I hey, I think the Nationals are going to win after I said Houston's going to win, but then all of a sudden Houston wins. Like, I would have made me look really stupid, but I guess yeah. my, one con- uh, my one concern is with the with the World Series was that it wasn't really a highly watched series from, you know, from like America's perspective of watching of watching that series. Like, the ratings were definitely down, or I think it was like the lowest rated world series even though it was a good world series i think it was the lowest rated world series i mean i i just feel like the and story, that's a baseball problem yeah i just feel like my takeaways even though that it was a good series it really wasn't a highly rated one uh and i think there were a lot of negative uh things from this series as well with you know the astros assistant gm getting fired and then in game five we saw the home plate umpire just blow blow call after call at home at home play with the balls and strikes and and there was also i'm not sure if you saw it but in game five there was a i think game four or five there was a uh, game five yeah 
yeah, yeah the Instagram you know, you know what I'm talking yeah. about where yeah. the two girls are behind a pump plate and they flash the camera and then they just ban them from from ever entering a, a baseball field ever again like, yeah that, that doesn't draw fans like guys want to see that uh yeah it, it was it was an interesting world series and honestly it felt kind of boring at times it was like even though it, was, it went seven games thing. there were a lot of blowouts in the series it's not like every game was exciting yeah, that that is another thing to mention. Like every game was like what three and a half hour hours four, or, or yeah, more, four plus hours. Four. The Nationals scored just... one run in all three of their losses at home. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it wasn't like there was a ton of firepower there. Yeah, I just think baseball has. I still think it has an issue with the pace of play and, and other and other things as well. To, to draw fans to 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 come to watch on TV or or to go to games as well. So yeah, I mean that, that's something that we've but... talked about extensively in the past. Yeah. But yeah, no, I I, I do think it was it, it was awesome that the Nationals won this, uh, just because they they've been such a disappointment in the playoffs ever since they it was a became it was a ballsy team. win. It was a ballsy win. The, the come to come back from I think they were down two nothing in the seventh mm-hmm. inning. They haven't gotten anything done, and then all of a sudden, uh, Rendon hits that home run off Grinky. Uh, to, to yeah. Begin the inning. Well, and Zach Greinke was throwing a one hitter through six innings. You know what? I don't. I don't blame. So the thing is, I don't blame AJ Hinch for taking out Greinke in that spot because even though Greinke, as good as he is, he does tend to when things when things go bad, things really go off the rails for Greinke. So I don't blame yeah. him for taking him out on that spot. But what I don't understand was he put in who who was it again? Uh, Will Harris. Yeah, Will uh, Harris over Garrett over Garrett Cole, who's either first or second this year in the AL Cy Young voting, um, and he he's warming up in the pen, so he's like so he's your best option. He, he's, and he's ready, ready to go, yeah. and you don't put him in, and you put in Will Harris or whomever, and he gives up the home the the go ahead home run, home run right there. And yeah. then not only that, but it's three to two, and you're still in the game, and you still don't put him in. You put in Osuna who. Who gave up that big home run to Lemayhu in the ALCS, and then all of a sudden he he gives up runs in the in the eighth inning. So I I didn't understand what AJ Inch was thinking on putting in those guys over Garrett Cole, and Garrett Cole never got a chance to enter that game. Made yeah, no it, sense it makes no sense that you don't pitch Garrett Cole, who is arguably the best pitcher in baseball in Game Seven of the World Series when he's available. And yeah, I think we'll, we'll talk about Garrett Cole when we talk about potential free agents because uh, he's he's probably the biggest name out there. But yeah, that was that was absolutely a questionable decision on AJ Hinch's part in the most crucial moment. And the Nationals took full advantage. They had, like you said, Anthony Rendon homer. I think it was Juan Soto who hit the two run homer to put him ahead three to two. Uh, no, it was Howie Kendrick. It was. Ha- was it Howie Kendrick? It was Howie. I know Kendrick, he was yeah. a big. Okay. I know Juan Soto had. Yeah, a couple big Soto. Yeah. He did something later to he, score. Yeah, Howie, Howie Kendrick, Kendrick was, the foul pole. He was yeah. phenomenal throughout the playoffs, I and mean, he's the one who hit the grand. He had that slam big grand slam. Ver- yeah, like you just said. Yeah, the Nationals the won five games this playoffs that were elimination games. If they lost it, they were done. When they were losing in the game, which is I don't. I think I said that's the the most uh, team has ever won in a single postseason. So yeah, it was just uh, an unbelievable playoff run for the Nationals. They were down two to they were down in the wild card game to the Brewers three to one in the eighth inning, and then they they took advantage of that that big error. Uh, to, it made me to it win made me root it, it made me root for them. Like I, I don't I, after the Red Sox, I really don't care about the other teams, or I'm not really a fan of any of the other teams. But 
I was kind of rooting for the Nationals. The way they were playing and coming back in all yeah, these games, I, so it made me e- it made it easy to root for them. And also the fact that Bryce Harper leaves and oh, it's just funny. I know, funny I, despite him, like <laughs> he, the best player, quote unquote, the best player on that team leaves and then they still then they end up being fine and end up winning the world series is, well that's is like one funny. of the craziest things about the whole situation is that bryce harper is a 330 million dollar player yet when he leaves a team they win the world series and the team he joins goes 81 and 81 and it's just one of those things where like i understand how much value bryce harper actually brings to the team overall in terms of like the money Th- and those stuff contracts- that the Phillies make those contracts that him and Machado got, they, they they just, in my opinion, they make no sense when you sign one person to all that money and all those years. Yeah, I mean, baseball uh, I mean, is if it, if it was like basketball, ultimate. where it it clearly having all the talent and the stars me, really means something, but in baseball, I, it makes no sense to me when you sign one dude to all that money because he can only affect the game so much, especially as an offense player, not even as a starting pitcher. Right? I mean, it's it's the most individual team sport, but that also makes it one where it's like a single individual can't bring you somewhere because you go through a lineup with nine different players. If a guy bats, he doesn't get to bat again until eight other guys get their turn. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that, just from that perspective, it makes sense. It's like one guy is not going to win you a championship. Of course, the Phillies brought in a ton of guys that they thought would bring him there, and it was just an overall very disappointing season for them. But, yeah, for the Nationals, like, even though they lost Harper, I thought they would win the NL East. I think you thought they would at least I, be a playoff I said team. no. I said the Phillies, but I said the Nationals would win. They would make the playoffs. Yeah, and they, they uh, got in as a wild card. They got in as a wild card, yeah. Yeah, it was exactly. just an, an unbelievable run for them throughout the postseason I even though I thought the Astros would win the World Series I was rooting for the Nationals and going into the series I couldn't care less I would be fine with either team losing it wasn't the Yankees and the Astros beat the Yankees so part of me is like yeah because of that I'm gonna root for Houston Jose Altuve is a ton ton of fun which the Nationals have plenty of their own fun players but uh, to me it was I was ready to root for Houston but then with the whole like assistant GM thing with Brandon Taubman and the Astros calling out the SI writer for you know saying that they just made up the story and all that stuff like I, that definitely kind of soured Houston on me and I was like rooting for Washington at that point but I, I kept kind of going back and forth throughout the whole series game seven it was like you know if Houston fans they didn't get to see their team win the World Series at home in 2017 so that would be cool if they could wrap it up now but Nationals is very very okay with them winning it not a team I've rooted for a ton in the past, but I'm not a huge Bryce Harper fan, so the fact that they won it without him definitely makes it a little easier than uh, you know, to root for them than had he still been on the team. Yeah, so. I, I'll, 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 I really, whoever won the series, I really deep down I didn't really care, but mm-hmm. but I was rooting for the Nationals that later. Once it got later and later in the series, I was uh, deep down rooting for the Nationals more than the Astros. And the Astros, I feel like, even though they're this powerhouse team that's probably going to be contending next year and, and they're the favorites to win beyond, it all next year, they feel like the nine. I feel like they're going to be like the '90s Braves, where they win the World Series, but then all of a sudden they just go like ten straight years of just winning the division, and then just doing nothing in the playoffs. And yeah, I feel like they're the '90s Braves all over again. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly still possible. I do feel like the Astros have more championships than them. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's two straight years where I thought they would win the World Series, and they they fell short. So it's certainly fair to question them moving forward. 
Speaking of moving forward, let's take a look at the offseason, uh, one that we can only hope is a little more exciting, has a lot of action early rather than having all the top stars wait until spring training to choose their teams for 2020. Uh, but the, the, I, the winter meetings the, will just be a bunch of old guys just hanging out and drinking coffee and talking about how the, how the kids are. And then just, and then just going home the, the, the win, nothing's going to happen. It's going to be like last year. You know, I, I don't know. I think that <laughs> I'll the, admit, the, I'm more pessimistic, but yeah. who knows? So I, I think that there's reason for optimism after the past two years, but yeah, we'll see. And I mean, the three biggest free agents arguably were all playing in the world series garrett cole for the houston astros their starting pitcher he will make more than david price made which was uh what seven years 30, 217 yeah seven years dollars. 210 million yeah yeah so he's gonna make more than that anthony rendon nationals he's an mvp candidate he already turned down 200 million from the nationals he's not gonna make bryce harper and manny machado money but he's definitely uh, you got to figure he's going to make more than 200 if he was going to turn that down. And then Steven Strasburg, who decided to opt out. He's coming off a phenomenal postseason, World Series MVP, 5-0 and in the playoffs, and he had like a 230 ERA. He's he going to get from, paid. He, he went from the most, probably one of the most overrated pitchers in the league to now one of the most underrated or yeah, under, oh, appreciated I like, pitchers I forgot about just how great he was because when, it felt when like he dealing with league, injuries. And, yeah, when yeah. he came in the league, it was... I mean, debut go, strikes out 14 guys, and he's he's all of a sudden the man, and he's one of the best pitchers in the league. And then all of a sudden, yeah, he has all those injuries, and and then he gets gets completely forgotten about. And then all of a sudden, this past uh, postseason, he just was lights out, five and zero, um, and amazing game six performance outside of that ugly first inning. Yeah, so he is 31 years old. He does have a bit of an injury concern, but he he chose the right time to be become a free agent he turned down four years 100 million dollars remaining with the nationals to opt out of that contract so you got to think he has a method behind that madness um so garrett cole i don't see any way he goes back to houston literally 30 minutes after the world series he's already saying he's no longer employed by a team he's wearing a <laughs> boris corporation hat so uh, he's gonna make a ton of money wherever he goes i think he's gonna end up going to the angels but the Yankees are certainly a team that's being thrown out there, and I guess you know you can't totally rule out a return to Houston. But uh, to me, it's I don't it seems think he's like going to be in a huge market. Yeah, I don't think he's going back, and it's basically everything what you just said that like, shortly after the World Series, he's he's already probably thinking about other places and yeah, he already and then he, just just the way that Game Seven ended as well, just not being oh, good, I, I know, think I think that left too. a sour taste in his mouth for yeah. sure. Um, Anthony Rendon, I think, is going to return to Washington. Uh, just, I mean, I think they're going to pay him whatever he wants. Obviously, he turned down $200 million, but I don't really see him leaving. And I don't even know what other teams he's necessarily been connected to to say that he would leave. I think out of those three, the one that's most likely to return, I agree, is Rendon. Uh, for Strasburg, my guess is, I mean, I don't really have a full grasp on any, <laughs> yeah, any three Yeah, of I them, mean, I, I won't but, pretend like I do. But, either. yeah, but if I had to guess, I'm going to say the Yankees. The Yankees are probably going to get one maybe probably not two but at least one of those guys and i think it's going to be strasburg so strasburg went to san diego state i think he's from san diego so there's definitely uh a A possibility of him going to the padres yeah well i know i mean they want uh i know that the padres are interested in pursuing strasburg i could definitely see him deciding to go home to san diego but at the same time i think it's 
somewhat likely that if the Nationals give him more than the contract that he just opted out of, that he would want to stay in Washington to continue his career. So, uh, I mean, those are the three biggest names to look at. There are certainly some other names out there. From a Red Sox fan perspective, it's not so much free agents that could be lost, but it's players that could be traded away because ownership wants the team to go under the luxury tax, something that they've been over for at least two years now. And unfortunately, that could mean the end of Mookie Bex's tenure in Boston. Yeah, I don't see how they keep bets, especially with if he has one year left and you know he's going to get north of 30 plus million. He's going to get Machado or Bryce Harper money. There's no way the Red Sox are going to want to lock in a contract like that on their team. So I think he's as good as gone. And I I, I think he's going to get traded at some point, whether that's whatever whatever that's in march or in the next few weeks or whatever i think at some point he's gonna get traded and i just think that's silly that the red sox make so much money and they're not gonna pay their best homegrown player that they've had in like it's 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 kind of their own doing because oh yeah david price has that rick dicka's contract Mm -hmm. nathan navaldi even though i love him for what he did last year in the postseason they paid him for a world series (laughs) yeah and then chris sale might might have the worst contract of all of them because he got signed he got signed in april before the season went on like hey we're gonna lock this guy up and now all of a sudden his arm injuries are now are showing or elbow injuries are now showing and just he has now the contract is starting like he has mm-hmm. five years yep. of i don't even know how long he can last in the league now with with his uh elbow injuries so that that contract might be a disaster so and, it, and it's their own doing that they can't sign bets because of how 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 many bad contracts that they have yeah and jd martinez just opted into his deal so it doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to remain in Boston. He could be traded, but it's hard to envision both Betts and JD being on this team in 2020. I personally want them to keep Mookie Betts and give it a shot and hope that, you know, not hope to, but actually sign him to whatever money it takes, knowing that he's planning on testing free agency. I think he wants to stay in Boston if they're willing to pay him. So I, I would love it for the Red Sox to keep Mookie Betts. If that means moving J.D. Martinez, David Price, even Jackie Bradley Jr., who's a Gamecock, I would, I'd be fine with them parting with those guys to keep Mookie Betts because he is you know, he won the MVP last year. He's, I think he'll be an MVP candidate every year that he's healthy. So. See, I'd be, I'd be fine with it if they can get rid of some of their bad contracts, but if they can't, then I don't no, want but, I mean, another they wouldn't. one on their team. Yeah, they uh, wouldn't at that point. Um, yeah. But, I mean, at this point, I, when he has one year left, I don't know what kind of prospect haul they can even get for a guy that's just going to be essentially a rental. So, uh, I, I don't know. I think they're kind of maybe in a get tough another position legit, at this point. Maybe, maybe get another – maybe swap veteran players, like bets for DeGrom or something. And you, you know what I mean. Like just one yeah. for one, someone <laughs> really good already, or established already. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that's the, the exact Well, that's plan, the thing is no – Something like that if they can't get that... – yeah. Like, if you're doing that, then you're trying to go all in for the one year. So why would you trade a piece that's part of that all in? You would be willing to give up prospects at that point. They're not going to get, they won't be, they probably won't be able to get something as awesome as they think they can get. Because, like you said, he has one year left. And whenever that happens for anyone um, that's as good as Betts is, uh, I mean, you can get some, but you're probably not going to get a lot 
or a, a big 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 return uh so i i don't know i don't know how it's gonna pan out yeah so i i, I guess just just gotta hope that things work out okay for the red sox but it, it does kind of feel like there's a there's reason to believe that things can be kind of murky in the future with some of those contracts, especially coming off an 84 win season, which was a, a big disappointment. So, uh, I guess just to quickly talk about my other team, the Pirates. I mean, I'm, I'm in the Pirates Bitmoji uniform on the the episode cover, and we almost never talk about them on He's Done It because we don't talk much baseball, and the Pirates are never usually relevant enough to bring up. Um, they have a new manager that they'll need to hire, and before that, a new general manager, which, thank God, they got rid of Neil Huntington because he is just not been deserving of being the longest tenured uh, GM in the national, or in at least the national league, if not all of baseball, I'm sure you can agree that the guy who traded for Chris Archer is probably doesn't deserve that kind of job security. Probably not. (laughs) So, um, I mean, in terms of uh, where they go from here, I would expect a rebuild is going to be a big part of it. uh, And that the ownership isn't just going to all of a sudden, give an influx of money to be able to turn this team into a a contender this year. Really disappointing 2019 season probably means Starling Marte is going to be traded uh, and just kind of, you know, see where the team goes from there. So I I mean, it's, I think it's too early to really hone in on what Pittsburgh is going to do until they have a general manager and kind of have a plan of what they're going to do moving forward. Uh, but it's probably some dark days for that Pittsburgh team. So I can only hope that the, the Red Sox can avoid that and continue to be a contender in the near future while doing what they can with their, their massive budget. All right, so let's uh, wrap up today's episode with our top five. And you know, normally we have a third co-host, Ben. He's been kind of in and out on podcasts in recent episodes. And uh, for this week's top five, we're actually going to count down our favorite celebrities and fictional characters named Ben, something we did similarly on Brian's first appearance on the old Ben and Corey podcast when we did our top five Brian's. So uh, without further ado, let's count down our favorite Ben's in today's top five. Not two, not three, not four. Top five, top five, top five. I'll go first. Uh, So for my... Uh, for my number five for top five Bens, I went with Ben Bailey, and Ben Bailey. If 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 you don't know who that is, he is the host of the the show uh, Cash Cab, where he drives people around New York City uh, in a taxi. But it's a really a game show where you, if you can answer the questions that he gives you, you can have the not only the ride for free, but he'll give you a large sum of cash. And I was, even though I could never answer basically any of the questions that he asked, I still was a fan of the show. And, uh, he's also, Ben Bailey's also, uh, when he's not on the show, he's doing, was also doing stand up, uh, stand up comedy as well. So, uh, was a fan of the show cash cab and a fan of, uh, the host as well. So Ben Bailey is my number five choice. Also my number five, uh, also because of Cash Cab, I have a lot of fond memories of watching Cash Cab with my grandmother as a kid. 
uh, like you, definitely would struggle with some of those questions, especially when I'm little. But it was just an entertaining concept that you're riding around New York City, get in a cab, and all of a sudden lights flash. You turn yeah, out the, on the game show. When, when you get in the sh- when you get in the cab, and all of a sudden the lights just flash up, like, hey, you're on Cash Cab. Yeah, I actually recently heard that he does stand up, and he's a pretty funny comedian. I have not uh, checked out any of his work there. He's solely number five on my list because of Cash Cab, but uh, definitely worthy of being on it just for that reason. Yeah, I, I I haven't heard much of his or really any of his stand up either. I just know that he is and um would would like to check it out. But yeah, I strictly just put it just for the cash cap stuff. Uh for my number four, I went with Ben Wallace, uh former Detroit Piston Center, and I just love uh loved how good he was as a as as a player, uh, rebounding, blocking shots. Missed fa- missed free throws at the line. I think he was a career like maybe less than fifty percent free throw. He was like forty three percent. Something awful, but still, still as a fan, love the afro and I love the. Uh, yesterday when uh, yesterday on YouTube I looked up the uh, the Pistons Pacers uh, f- brawl if you if you remember that and it started with yeah, the if I remember the, the malice at the palace. Yeah, it started with the. <laughs> Kind of, kind of bad foul from Ron Artest, but it wasn't really that flagrant. But Ben Ross just had to overreact over it, and it started the greatest fight in NBA history. I mean, I know David Stern and other NBA executives were saying, "Oh, this is such a disgrace to the game." I enjoyed it. I thought it was awesome <laughs> seeing all those people, uh, just just regular people getting their ass kicked by by actual athletes <laughs> was just kind of pretty amusing to watch. So. uh well, Ben Wallace is my number four choice. <laughs> hey, he's a, he was always a, a fun player, uh, despite you know being on the Pistons. There was a little bit of rivalry at time with the Celtics, uh, but yeah, Wallace and that that crazy afro he had, uh, and he was like a six foot nine center. So he was kind of before so the afro today. Made it looked like he was seven. Yeah, he was like seven two, like right? Uh-huh. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, Ben Wallace, great choice in number four. My number four, I went with Ben Affleck. I feel like as a New Englander, you, you're always going to be drawn to Ben Affleck, the actor. Uh, to me, the, my my favorite movie that he's in is Goodwill Hunting. And I, while Robin Williams and Matt Damon probably the two bigger roles in that, I do think he plays an awesome uh, role as uh, that... one of Will's Will's friends, and it, it really his best friend and main secondary character. That's also my favorite uh, Ben Affleck movie as well. I like the scene where it's near the end of the movie and no one can get through to uh, Matt uh, Will Will uh, Will's character and uh, but then all of a sudden, like when they're at their at their job and he tells them like, "Look, you're my best friend, so I'm just gonna shoot it straight." Like, I think you're, I think you need to grow, you know, grow a pair and like and yeah, you know, you have all this brain power and like I got nothing, <laughs> like. You like you guys stop being a, a wuss and and like actually use use that gift for something in your life. So uh, I like that. Out of all the people, like n- n- it was him, his best friend, that is the one that eventually got through to him. Another movie I liked, even though it was kind of cheesy, I did like Pearl Harbor as well. I'm not sure if you ever seen it. Yeah, I've never actually seen Pearl Harbor. I knew that existed, but uh, I've I've never seen the movie. Um, I did recently find out that he was in it though, and I feel like I it- need to watch that. It's kind of corny, but it is a, in my opinion, it's a pretty good World War II movie. Uh, obviously, it takes place for you know Pearl Harbor reasons and mm-hmm. Japan attacking the U.S. Uh, there, but it's also a love story as well. 
uh, yeah. that he Make, that makes he's sense. In. Yeah, so I was I was actually with uh, you know the, the Ben who inspired this countdown uh, this past weekend, and I saw a commercial for that new movie Midway that's coming out, or mm-hmm. maybe yeah, I think it's coming out this weekend Midway, actually. Yeah, yeah I, I hadn't seen that before, and I was like thinking, I was like, wow, I feel like there aren't many World War II movies about like what happened in the Pacific with Japan. It's almost always with like Hitler and Nazi Germany. Yeah. And uh, he had mentioned Pearl Harbor, and I was like, you know, I feel like I knew or should have known there was a Pearl Harbor movie, but uh, I didn't like come to me off the top of my head because I've never seen that. So, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, another movie though by Ben Affleck, you know, before I move on from him, Gone Girl. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you want to say he plays a hero or a villain in this movie. I think I it kind of depends on your perspective. I've never, I've never seen the movie. It's yeah. a really good movie. Um, and he, he plays, you know, one of the main characters in that one. Uh, that's I would definitely recommend checking it out. I think it's like a three hour long movie, so you gotta have a little bit of time to to right. watch that. But uh, that's that's one of my my favorite more recent movies he's done. Right. Okay. Uh, so for my number three, I went with uh, Benjamin uh, Hawkeye Pierce, and that's not an actual uh, person. That's a character from the show uh, called Mash, and the person that plays uh, this character's name is Al- Alan Alda. Uh, I was even though. Uh, I'm a 20 year old guy, and the the show came out in the 70s. It was actually one of my favorite shows uh, growing up, and it's one of the one one of the few really old shows that I really enjoyed. Uh, it took place during the it takes place during the the Korean War, and um, and there's a lot of a uh, lot of funny moments, but also uh, like uh, emotional moments as well in the show, and I. So the, a show that I really, really enjoyed, uh, and especially the character uh, Ben Benjamin Hawkeye Pierce. So I went with him as my number three. Yeah, so when I originally came up with this countdown, we were just going to do celebrities named Ben. But then I saw your list, and you had a fictional character on it. And I was like, all right, I guess we're doing fictional characters as well, and I guess I'll modify mine. And uh, mm-hmm. I did that with my number three, and that is Benjamin Franklin Gates. And... Well, Nicolas Cage is someone who is easy to kind of make fun of and is just being like a weird guy. He plays a phenomenal role as Benjamin Gates in the National Treasure movie. I'm such a fan of those movies. Huge history buff, so I, I loved watching them as a kid. Of course, uh, the main premise of the <laughs> first one is uh, Benjamin Gates and his friends uh, steal the Declaration of Independence. Right. A the big invisible map. Treasure hunt. <laughs> yes, yes, of course. Great movie. The sequel is also very good. Um, neither of them got surprisingly great critical reviews but i think audiences the, were the big first fans one of them. the first one i was a big fan of uh when i saw your when when you put your list down uh, after you saw mine for the fictional characters uh when once i saw benjamin gates i was like oh man i wish i had that on yeah. my list so yeah i had to take an l there because i was a fan of the national treasure the the second movie was pretty good but i the first one uh first one i loved i thought that was I mean, like it's like you like what you said or nicholas kgz make fun of but uh but he was awesome in National Treasure, and it is a great yep. movie. Yep. So I, honestly, like doing this list kind of made me realize I need to see, I need to watch those movies again because it's been so long. I haven't watched them since I was a kid, but I I loved them. So uh, yeah, Benjamin Gates, the Declaration of Independence, number three. So for my number two, I went with Ben Stein, and for anyone who doesn't know that is, he is the uh, the economics teacher and or math teacher or whatever in uh ferris bueller the one who goes constantly goes bueller 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 and and he's not even in class uh love him in that role but i also 
I was actually a fan of uh, his game show called uh, Win Ben Stein's Money. It's basically it's basically uh, a worse version of Jeopardy. Where it, if you ever if you have never seen it, it, it was it was one I would watch uh, every day after school and when I was in elementary school and uh, and I, and it's it's literally like Jeopardy, but just uh, just really really not as good. And fun fact about that show: Jimmy Kimmel was actually a co-host on the the game show from 1997 to 2000 uh so if you're wondering what he was doing before he was a talk show host uh you know on on abc he was he was on a co-host for ben stein for his game show uh so wow I was, uh kind of a big fan of that show and uh just ben stein in general for just being for just having those boring <laughs> having the most boring voice uh as the economics teacher in, in ferris bueller so i want ben stein as my number two I had no idea who that was when I first saw your list. I thought he was like made up or something, and then, mm-hmm. and then I, I saw oh Ferris Bueller. I was like, that's why he made it. Right. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, so my number two is Ben Stiller, and I I just think he's such a hilarious actor. He's been in a lot of really great movies, and I know two of his most popular ones from back in the day, Meet the Parents, Zoolander. I haven't even seen. So he you made my meet list. The parents? No, I I mean I think yeah. I've seen parts of them and stuff, mm-hmm. but I've never seen them all the way through. Uh, which, I mean, those are, you know, kind of older, before my time when I was still a very little kid. But some of the ones that I've grown to love from him, of course, his role as White Goodman in Dodgeball. Dodgeball is one of my favorite comedies, and that's one that's always going to stand out. Uh, Night at the Museum. I'm a big fan of those movies. And uh, that was like Night at the Museum, the original one. It was actually the first movie I saw in IMAX, fun fact. So that, that was a big Ben Stiller role for me. He was also Tropic Thunder was a good one. And then as an animated role, Madagascar, Alex the Lion. Uh, so he, he's been in a lot of great stuff. And he's he's someone who I'll always, uh, you know, maybe maybe he wouldn't be like in my top five favorite like comedy actors, but he, he's certainly close to that and worthy of being in my top five celebrities named Ben. You know the Chunkies movie theater where you go and you can actually have a, like, an actual meal while watching Yeah, so I think our, our Nashua listeners will relate to this. Maybe our yeah. New Hampshire ones as well. I, I don't know uh, how national Chunkies is, yeah. but yeah. The, that was the – Night at the Museum was the first movie I watched at Chunkies when it uh, – Really? During like – I think I was in like fifth or sixth grade. I think we were – yeah, fifth or sixth grade when it came yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. So. Night at the Museum was the first movie I ever watched at Chunkies. Uh but yeah, but yeah, okay. like you said, white uh, dodgeball is one of my favorite movies, and he was awesome in that movie. So, uh, if you're a fan of dodgeball, I'll, I'll give Ben a little plug here. Affable chat. I went on that um, about a year ago, last December, to talk about dodgeball. So, if you want to hear what we have to say more in depth, definitely check that one out. I'm I'm glad I wasn't on that one. Not that I would ever never be on that podcast but i'm glad i wasn't because all i would do is just quote the movie i, I wouldn't i wouldn't give any analysis i would there's just say so many great would, quotes in that movie. i would just say all the stupid quotes oh and white white goodman is a ton of them so yeah yeah so good choice there and for my number one i went with benny the jet rodriguez and uh he was the the star player on the the sand in the movie the sandlot he was the star player on and the group of kids there and uh i was a big fan of that movie especially as a baseball fan and uh not only was i fan the big reason why i was a fan of Benny the jet rodriguez was because he's like he was the one guy who who stood up for smalls the the new kid in town who's moving to you know moving from another place and 
he tried to find some friends and he wasn't very good at baseball either, but he was the one guy that stuck up for him. And not only that, but Smalls hits, he, he steals his, uh, Babe Ruth signed baseball from his, from his dad's room. And then he, all of a sudden he hits it, uh, past the fence. And now they have, they're having a trouble trying to get it from, uh, the dog, the, the, the beast, quote unquote, the beast. And, uh, Benny ends up getting the baseball and, uh, and then at the end of the movie, they show them as, as adults, but still best friends and, and shows him stealing home plate for the Dodgers, uh, in <laughs> playing professional baseball. So I thought that was pretty cool. So Benny, the jet Rodriguez gets my number one vote for best Ben. Big fan of the Sandlot. And of course, a big fan of Benny, the jet Rodriguez. Great, great. Number one choice for my number one. Come on. It's Ben Roethlisberger. You know, you, of course, he, he certainly has a, a questionable uh, outside of football life. But when it comes to just being on the field, the guy has won two Super Bowl championships for my favorite team in all the sports. So it's an easy choice. It's going to be Big Ben. He's a guy who is he's made Steelers football what it has been for the past 15 years. Uh, through all the highs and the lows, you know, Ben Rosberg has been there. Of course, he's injured this year, and things haven't been going all that great without him. Uh, We've talked plenty in, in here, uh, ready for him to come back and you know take those reins back from Mason Rudolph uh, healthy next year. So, yeah, Ben Rosberger, number one favorite celebrity named Ben. It was never in doubt. Yeah, even though I'm not personally a big fan of Ben Roethlisberger, I will say, though, especially with him being injured right now and Mason Rudolph as the quarterback, what would – the Steelers even look like like for what is it now like yeah 15 15 years he's been the quarterback yeah now? yeah 2004 what it's, what would they look like if it wasn't for him as the QB I, I don't know it it took imagine. a long time to find him after uh Bradshaw Terry Bradshaw re- retired so it's, watching uh, watching a past footage of that draft when it was uh Eli Rivers and Roethlisberger all in the top 10 there really a good drama uh to watch oh yeah yeah, no, I mean, I know that was most, that I know that, called him at nine. I know that was mostly for Eli and for Eli's situation, but it was still yep. great drama watching watching the footage of that draft. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I mean, future Hall of Fame quarterback, and uh, you know, he's he's made football just a little little bit more enjoyable for me um, over the last you know, fifteen years. So Ben Roethlisberger, number one. All right, so that'll wrap up today's episode of He's Done It. Uh, just Brian and I today. Hopefully next time we'll have Ben uh, joining us again. So uh, for Brian Wells, I'm Corey Navani. Thanks, everyone.